Chapter 13. What I Learned Interviewing the Devil Three things connected with my interview with the devil interest me most. These three factors interest me because they have been the most important influences in my own life, a fact which any reader of my story can easily discern. The three important factors are the habit of drifting, the law of hypnotic rhythm through which all habits are made permanent, and the element of time. Here is a trio of forces which hold inviolate the destinies of all men. The three take on a new and more important meaning when they are grouped and studied as a combined force. It takes but little imagination and scarcely any understanding of natural laws for one to see that most of the difficulties in which people find themselves are of their own making. Moreover, difficulties seldom are the outgrowth of immediate circumstances. They are generally the climax of a series of circumstances which have been consolidated through the habit of drifting and with the aid of time. Samuel Insull did not lose his $4 billion industrial empire as the result of the Depression. He began losing it long before the Depression when he became the victim of a group of women who flattered him into turning his talents from public utilities to grand opera. If ever a man in a high position in the financial world went down because of the power of drifting, hypnotic rhythm, and time, that man was Samuel Insull. I am writing from accurate knowledge of Mr. Insull and the cause of his troubles dating from the time that I served with him during the World War to the time of his ill-advised attempt to run away from himself. Henry Ford went through the same depression that swept Mr. Insull under, but Ford came out on top without a scratch. Do you want to know the reason? I will tell you. Ford has the habit of not drifting on any subject. Time is Ford's friend because he has formed the habit of using it in a positive, constructive manner with the aid of thoughts of his own making woven into plans of his own creation. Take any circumstance you wish. Measure it with reference to its relationship to the habit of drifting, hypnotic rhythm, and time, and you may ascertain accurately the cause of all success and all failure. Franklin Delano Roosevelt went into office with a bang during his first term. He had but one major purpose in mind, and that was very definite. It was to stop the stampede of fear and start people to thinking and talking in terms of business recovery instead of business depression. In carrying out that purpose, there was no drifting. The forces of the entire nation were consolidated and moved as one to help carry out the president's definite purpose. For the first time in the history of America, the newspapers of all political leanings, the churches of all denominations, the people of all races and colors, and the political organizations of all brands united themselves into one stupendous power for the sole purpose of helping the president restore faith and normal business relationships in the country. In a conference held between the president and a group of emergency advisors a few days after he went into office, I asked him what was his major problem. He replied, it is not a question of majors and minors. We have but one problem, and that is to stop fear and supplant it with faith. Before the end of his first year in office, the president had stopped fear and supplanted it by faith, and the nation was slowly but surely on the way out of the jungle of depression. By the end of his first term, mark well the element of lapse of time, the president had so effectively consolidated the forces of American business and private life that he had an entire nation in back of him, ready, willing, and enthusiastically desirous of following his lead no matter which way he went. These are facts well known to everyone who reads newspapers or listens to the radio. Then came another presidential election and the opportunity for the people to express their faith in their leader.
They expressed it in a landslide without precedent in American politics. And the president went into office a second time with an almost unanimous electorate vote with only two states meekly dissenting. Now observe how the wheel of life began to reverse itself and turn back in the other direction. The president changed his policy from definiteness of purpose to indefiniteness and drifting. His change of policy split the powerful labor group and turned more than half of it against him. It split the almost solid following he held in both houses of Congress. And more important than all of this, it split the American people into pro and anti groups with the result that about all the president had left of his original political assets was his million dollar smile and his ready handshake, obviously not enough to enable him to regain the power he once wielded in American life. Here then we have an excellent example of a man who skyrocketed to great power through definiteness of purpose and belly flopped to the starting point by his habit of drifting. In both his rise and his fall can be seen clearly the operation of the principles of drifting and non-drifting, reaching a climax through the power of hypnotic rhythm and time. All my life the devil had a dramatic story to tell of his dealings with me. He saw me drift in and out of scores of business opportunities for which many would have given a king's ransom. He saw me drifting in my policy of relating myself to others, particularly in my lack of caution in business dealings. The circumstance which saved me from fatal control of the law of hypnotic rhythm was the definiteness of purpose with which at long last I dedicated my entire life to the organization of a philosophy of individual achievement. I drifted at one time or another on all my minor whims and endeavors, but my drifting was offset by my major purpose, which was sufficient to restore my courage and start me once more in the quest of knowledge every time I was defeated in connection with my minor aims. I learned something of the hazardous nature of the habit of drifting while engaged in analyzing more than 25,000 people in connection with the organization of the law of success. These analyses showed that only two out of every 100 have a definite major aim in life. The other 98 were caught by the habit of drifting. It seems more than a coincidence that my analyses clearly corroborated the devil's claim that he controls 98 out of every 100 people because of their habit of drifting. Looking back over my own career, I can see clearly that I could have avoided the majority of the temporary defeats with which I met if I had been definitely following a plan for the attainment of my major purpose in life. From my experience in having analyzed the problems of more than 5,000 families, I know definitely that the majority of married people who get out of harmony with each other do so because of the accumulation of a great number of little circumstances in their married relationship, which could have been cleared up and disposed of as they arose if there had been a definite policy to do so. They do not live their married life with definiteness of purpose. So the story has gone all back down the ages. The man with the most definite plan and purpose and the most power rides on to victory. The others scurry for cover and get crushed under the heels of those who are more determined. The answer is not hard to find. There's no use looking toward high heaven for it. For my part, I would prefer to seek the answer from the devil, for he would tell me quickly enough that victory goes to the people who know what they want and are determined to have it. They have mastered the habit of drifting. They have definite policies, definite plans, definite objectives. Their opposition, which may outnumber them very greatly, has no chance against them because the opposition has no plan, no purpose, no policy except that of drifting along, hoping that something may turn up to help them. 
In those three brief sentences, you have the sum and the substance of the difference between success and failure, power and lack of it. We come now near to the end of our visit through this book. If we were to try to state in one brief sentence the most important part of that which I have tried to convey through the book, it would be something like this. One's dominating desires can be crystallized into their physical equivalents through definiteness of purpose backed by definiteness of plans with the aid of nature's law of hypnotic rhythm and time. There you have the positive phase of the philosophy of individual achievement I have tried to describe through this book, brought down to an irreducible minimum of brevity and simplicity. If you expand the philosophy for the purpose of adapting it to the circumstances of life, you find that it is as broad as life itself, that it covers all human relationships, all human thoughts, aims, and desires. So here we are, at the end of the strangest of all the thousands of interviews I've had with the great and the near great, over a period of 50 years of labor in my search for the truths of life that lead to happiness and economic security. How strange indeed that after having had active cooperation from such men as Carnegie, Edison, and Ford, I should have been compelled finally to go to the devil for a working knowledge of the greatest of all the principles uncovered in my quest for truth. How strange that I was forced to experience poverty and failure and adversity in a hundred forms before being given the privilege of understanding and using a law of nature which softens the thrust of these wicked weapons or wipes them out altogether. But the strangest of all this dramatic experience which life has provided me is the simplicity of the law through which, if I had understood it, I could have transmuted my desires into substantial form without having to undergo so many years of hardship and misery. I find now, at the end of my interview with the devil, that I had been carrying in my own pockets the matches with which the fires of adversity were being touched off. And I find, too, that the water with which those fires were finally extinguished was at my command in great abundance. I searched for the philosopher's lodestone with which failure may be converted into success, only to learn that both success and failure are the results of day-to-day -day evolutionary forces through which dominating thoughts are pieced together bit by bit and woven into the things we want or the things we do not want according to the nature of those thoughts. How unfortunate that I did not understand this truth from the time that I reached the age of reason, for if I had understood it, then I might have been able to go around some of the hurdles I've been forced to jump as I walked through the valley of the shadow of life. The story of my interview with the devil is now in your hands, in your ears. The benefits you will receive from it will be in exact proportion to the thought it inspires in you. To benefit from reading the interview, you need not agree with every portion of it. You have only to think and to reach your own conclusions concerning every part of it. How reasonable that is. You are the judge and the jury and the attorney for both the prosecution and the defense. If you do not win your case, the loss and the cause thereof will be yours. Napoleon Hill